Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sunup. The Daily Sunup podcast is a conversation with the Colorado Sun. See our trust indicators at coloradosun.com slash ethics. It's Tuesday, February 20th. Today, Sun business reporter Tamara Chung updates on the Colorado lawsuit to try to stop the merger between Kroger and Albertsons, which combined have more than 250 stores in the state, and what it means for Colorado communities and the thousands of workers and local suppliers. Before we begin, a special thank you to all of our Colorado Sun members listening. It's thanks to you that The Sun continues to bring trustworthy, independent journalism to readers and listeners across our state. If you're not yet a member and want to join us, visit coloradosun.com slash join to sign up. While you're there, check out our member e-newsletters like Colorado Sunday, The Temperature, and more. Together, we'll keep Colorado informed in 2024. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. Since Spanish arrived in the New World in 1492, European colonists either aimed to partner with, subjugate, or eliminate Native American populations. 400 years later, Native autonomy has dwindled, with the 1887 Dawes Act marking a final push towards assimilation. President Grover Cleveland signed the Hunter Act on this day in 1895, targeting Colorado's Ute population. Despite earlier treaties reducing Ute territory, the act further fragmented their land, forcing adoption of American farming. This led to the division of the reservation, with the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation formed in the west and the southern Ute Reservation in the east. Allotment ceased in 1934, but its impacts endure, complicating Native American cultural preservation amid widespread disregard or calls for abolition. Before we continue, a quick thanks to Daily Sunup listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. Thanks. Next, our feature story. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. I'm David Krause, one of the editors here at the Colorado Sun, and I am always happy to be joined by Sun Business slash tech reporter Tamara Chung. Tamara, how's your day going? Oh, pretty good, David. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, So you wrote last week kind of a, it's a big story nationally, but we're going to kind of bring it, focus a little more on Colorado, um, talking about the big uh, potential merger between um, Kroger and Albertson slash Safeway combined. Those two entities have over 250 stores in in the state. And Phil Weiser, our attorney general, is uh, filed suit to stop the merger. I will stop there, Tamara, and let you pick it up. What uh, what's going on? with A.G. Weiser, and and why does he think that we need to sue uh, to protect people in Colorado? Sure. So hopefully readers know or listeners know that Kroger owns King Supers and City Markets here in Colorado. And uh, what's happening here is, you know, the two national companies, giant companies, um, grocery store chains, of course, uh, announced the merger plans like last year. That, you know, there was a lot of uh, interest in this by consumers in Colorado, and that was enough to get uh, um, Attorney General Phil Weiser to do a listening tour um, by stopping in 19 uh, cities across the state. 
one of them, I th- you know, one of them I did attend, I believe it was in November. It was in the Denver area. Um, and after all this, like last week, he came out, uh, his office uh, filed a uh, lawsuit to block the merger based on the grocery chains violating the Colorado Antitrust Act. And he brought out, he showed evidence of like, uh, you know, if if anyone remembers the King Supers grocery store strike a couple years ago, I believe that was in early 2022. There was some email communication between the two companies saying, hey, let's not hire one another's workers. A.G. Weiser also alleged that there was a communication between the two companies about not going after one another's pharmacy customers, um, stuff like that. And, you know, you can't really do that because that does violate antitrust. So Colorado became the second state nationwide to file some sort of lawsuit to block the merger. Washington state was the first. And when that happened earlier in January, you know, that caused um, Kroger and Albertsons to say, you know, we got to delay this merger, which was supposed to close early this year. Now it's been pushed off to the first half of the year. So that could be, you know, we might not see anything till June. But um, as part of this, too, it's gotten the attention of the Federal Trade Commission. And while they haven't they haven't said anything on the topic, it just seems like something could be happening. And I think that's another reason why Colorado and A.G. Weiser filed this lawsuit to try to bring uh, get more attention on why something like this needs to be blocked. So when you were at that listening session, Tamara, you've been, like said earlier, you've been following this for a while. State Rep Matt Sober was there. You kind of chatted with him again this week. What's kind of his interest in this? And, you know, what is it, what are his concerns as this, you know, one, the lawsuit goes forward, but two, the potential merger keeps uh, slowly grinding on. Yeah, actually, uh, Representative Soper wasn't at the listening session. He is he represents like Delta County, so like the Montrose area and stuff like that. But at this listening session that I went to, there was a lot of union members. So actual King Super workers who were protesting the merger. So I I just thought, well, that that seems strange because they're protesting this merger between their employers. Um, But their point was that when companies merge, you know, jobs are lost. So uh, sometimes that means shutting down one of the other stores in town. You know, you need, and when you only have one, you need fewer bakers and, um, you know, checkout clerks and just the whole gamut. And at the session, uh, FTC Commissioner Lena Khan was actually in attendance and I thought that was interesting because she, no one spoke out in support of uh, the merger. And Commissioner Lena Khan even asked people at the end, "Does anyone say want to say anything in support?" And no one, no one said anything. So afterwards, I I went up to AG uh, Phil Weiser and asked, you know, well, is this, you know, who who is opposing this? I mean, are you seeing the same sort of um, impact or same sort of response everywhere you go? And he's like, it's been mostly um, people in opposition, but it's not all just union members. You know, he had um, he had held a session because, you know, for a bunch of Republicans had who were interested in what was happening. 
And he told me that uh, Matt Soper, the representative, uh, state representative Matt Soper, had asked him about it to come to his area. Um, so I did talk to Matt. Um, this was a couple months ago uh, about why he was concerned. And his concern was a lot about, you know, because a town like his, a lot of in a rural, lot of rural areas, you really do, you know, need two grocery stores or more because, you know, yes, it gives the residents a choice in where to shop. You know, those two companies can be more competitive with pricing. Uh, you know, the whole whole point of not being a monopoly in town and stuff like that. But it, it goes further to the farmers and the producers and suppliers of these grocery store chains. If you've got local farmers who are selling to several grocery stores, that gives them a place to sell their 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 products year round. But um, if there's only one one grocery store or you know very few, you know that obviously limits um, how many uh, types of uh, corn maybe for example. Uh, the grocery store will buy because they still need corn, but maybe they don't need two suppliers or three or four. Um, so, so the impact on the community, the producers, the farmers—I mean, it was just huge, especially in rural areas. You know, when I talked to Matt again for this story, he he mentioned the same sort of thing. You know, um, he definitely wants more than one grocery store, and he mentioned, well, actually, David, he mentioned your town. Um, you know, where you live in, in rural uh, Colorado. And, you know, I don't know if you, we've talked about this in the past too. So how many grocery stores do you have in Salida, right? Yeah. So Salida, we have a Safeway that's kind of the anchor right toward downtown. And then we have a natural grocers in downtown. And then at the edge of town, kind of between Salida and Poncha uh, Springs is uh, Walmart. So you know, we've got a variety of them, but it's not like to your point, right? Like in a Gunnison where you have a Safeway on Main Street, you know, on Highway 50, and then the city market is on the way up to uh, Crested Butte, right? So you've got to the point of what Rep uh, uh, Soper was saying, you've got, you know, the two main people in this merger have a store in that town. So what's going to happen there? When I lived over in the Aspen area, we had a city market in Aspen, but then we had one of the, you know, um, probably people who go to Crested Butte, Telluride, Snowmass, Aspen, there's an independent family chain called Clark's Market. They just opened a store in Lowry, one of their bigger ones, but they've really helped um, keep that competition going in some of these smaller towns, ski towns especially, because they have an option. And so... Uh, when we lived in Snowmass, actually, my youngest son worked at the city at the uh, uh, Clark's Market in Snowmass during the pandemic. He was uh, it was he was in high school, worked there, great high school job, worked there uh, two and a half years, um, worked all through the pandemic, and you know that that's just uh, an integral part because you do see you know if you lose one of those two stores in Gunnison, say, then all right, you lose the the city market, well, then you're pretty tight. There's a Clark's up in Crested Butte that they actually just got done remodeling. And so it's it's just an, an intriguing way to look at it on that whole competition level. Because like you wrote about in your story, you've got 
at least 18,000 people who work at these grocery stores that are in the union. That's a union count. So then you have your managers, you know, and then, you know, different levels. But I, I think what you said in, uh, earlier, uh, talk about suppliers, right? You know, it just goes down the line of, okay, well, instead of needing three different kinds or five different kinds of peanut butter, maybe we just do three. Or, you know, do we need 10 kinds of mustard? Maybe we just do two. And what happens to those, especially if they're they're more locally produced? But um, I've got insight because I've been in the grocery, around the grocery business my entire life. My dad actually was uh, uh, vice president at Kroger uh, when he passed away, actually passed away um, at uh, Kroger headquarters in Oklahoma in his early 50s. That was quite a long time ago. But, you know, I worked uh, as one of the, one of the suppliers. Uh, both of my brothers worked for suppliers of grocery stores. Uh, you know, our dad got us jobs with these suppliers. It was our job not to not to get fired and not to uh, tarnish the family name. That's what my dad, you know, would do. And my sister worked at uh, one of my dad's grocery stores in, in Omaha that he helped start um, Food for Less and Buy for Less. And so I, I've just been around. I'm always intrigued by it. And uh, I just think it's interesting to see how we can still have some of these smaller places like Clark's, but all the attention goes to the Kroger's and the Safeways because they just employ so many people. Um, but Tamara, I thought it was interesting. And let's talk about this for a little bit. This merger and part of it is the reflection of the Amazons, right? And the Costco's and all of those bigger stores that are bringing a different level of competition. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad came home one day and this is how they, the industry has changed in the late seventies. And he said, one day, every item you buy is going to have this thing and they call it a barcode. It has a bunch of stripes on it and they're going to scan that and that's going to make it easier on checkers. And now we all do self-checking. And now we're checkers at most all of these places. But Tamara, what is what is the dynamic of the Costco's and and the Amazons and the Primes, right, um, affecting the grocery business? That really is, you know, you hit it on the nail there. I mean, that is the whole argument of why these large. I mean, these are the biggest grocery stores in the nation. Um, that's why they are looking to merge their resources, right? And um, sort of compete together against these companies, these newer places to buy groceries um, that, well, they don't have unions. Amazon, um, I know uh, Amazon workers are trying to start a union, um, especially, I mean, nationwide and even here in um, Colorado, but I think their success rate is pretty low. But if you think about that, you know, they you could buy a lot of your stuff online and even some of the other uh, startups and stuff. I mean, they you're getting your stuff delivered from another Internet company, you know, DoorDash or whatever. And, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, this has been, you know, if you remember during the pandemic, you know, the gig workers were. really strong before the pandemic. But when the pandemic happened, you know, these gig workers had no unemployment. You know, they suddenly lost their jobs, you know, you know, for for a bunch of them. So that's why the federal government had to provide some unemployment relief there. It's like 
to compete, a lot of these companies have started, uh, you know, it, it's just a whole different playing field that I think that's why Kroger and Albertsons feel like, you know, if they don't merge, they're going to, they're not doing well. <laughs> so, but, you know, it, it's all in the numbers too. I mean, um, before, before a lot of the merger talk, I mean, there was a lot of profit uh, still, even though, you know, I, I keep hearing that it's, it's, it's tough to make a profit when half your food could go bad at any given day. But, you know, there's just these new forces of what's causing companies to reevaluate the traditional uh, business. And grocery stores are definitely not immune to the impact of technology and how people are buying food these days. So you kind of mentioned it um, when we started, Tamara, but let's wrap it up with this. You know, initially we thought we'd hear something, you know, in January and now it's kind of slowed down on when we're going to hear from the FTC on what the rules are going to be. Can you kind of walk us through real quick, you know, the delays and what is the latest on when we might hear a yay or a nay and how do these lawsuits from Colorado and what the state of Washington play into this? So, as I mentioned, um, the grocery store, com- I mean, Kroger and Albertsons both announced in January that the merger is going to take longer than expected because of all the regulatory scrutiny. Um, and the FTC hasn't said anything yet or, you know, not quite sure if they're going to be challenging it or what's going to happen. But even if Colorado and Washington filed these, you know, they've filed these suits, but that doesn't mean that's going to stop the merger. They're just trying to get the attention of the FTC, which really has is the only one that has the power to block it nationwide. So, I mean, in the timeline of things, we'll probably expect to hear from the FTC, you know, any week or any month now um, before anything can happen. So um, it's I'm not sure what's going to happen. I guess I'll continue to cover it from Colorado's perspective and see if anything happens with these, you know, A.G. Weiser's lawsuit or, you know, with the merger, of course. Well, I appreciate the time and the the opportunity to chat and give a little bit of my personal experience on one of these uh, sunups as well, because, you know, like I said, I I was born into the industry and and have seen a lot of the change. And, you know, this is something that you would never have thought of would have happened even probably 10 years ago. You know, they just were always fighting back and forth. So appreciate you keeping us updated. And like you said, keeping the Colorado angle on it even more specifically is what we really strive to do. If you didn't already, you can catch up on this story. Um, go to the coloradosun.com homepage. Go click on that business tab up at the top. Um, you can also sign up for Tamara's weekly What's Working newsletter. comes out every Saturday. has a bunch of great uh, stats in there, business-related things. You can do that at coloradosun.com slash working also like to remind people the Sun is a member of the Trust Project, so you can see our commitment to trusted journalism at the coloradosun.com slash ethics page. Tamara, really good time talking about this stuff today, and uh, uh, appreciate you staying with it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, David. And let me just add, you know, if you're still listening to this uh, podcast, you know, we'd love it if you guys give us a review on whatever podcasts uh, platform you're using. Thanks, everyone. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. 
Colorado Springs police Monday arrested a suspect in the killings of two people who were found fatally shot three days earlier in a University of Colorado, Colorado Springs dorm room. 25-year-old Nicholas Jordan of Detroit faces two counts of first-degree murder. Police found Jordan inside a car Monday morning roughly three miles from campus, and he was taken into custody without incident. Investigators had been searching for Jordan since Friday evening. The victims were 24-year-old Samuel Knopp of Parker and 26-year-old Celia Rain Montgomery of Pueblo. Knopp was a student, but Montgomery did not attend the school. Police did not disclose a possible motive. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service this month declared the silver spot butterfly of southwestern Colorado to be threatened under the Endangered Species Act. The designation will mean more protections for the embattled species. It's one of several recent developments that promise to bring more attention to bugs and other invertebrates in Colorado at a time when climate change is threatening their populations. Separately, state lawmakers have proposed a bill that would give Colorado Parks and Wildlife a bit more authority in managing vulnerable invertebrates and plants. New Colorado rules to ensure there is enough cash to plug each oil and gas well in the state at the end of its life may not generate enough money to do the job. That's according to a new analysis by Carbon Tracker. The nonprofit environmental think tank said the state may end up with less money for plugging than before the new rules were adopted nearly two years ago. The warning comes as 39% of oil and gas companies still have not completed financial assurance plans. The Colorado Energy and Carbon Management Commission disputes Carbon Tracker's findings, however, saying it expects significant growth in financial assurance plans. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Now, a quick message from our team. This is Christina Pritchett, Marketing and Events Specialist at the Colorado Sun. In my role, I get to witness the Sun's impact on our state firsthand. I always leave our events feeling inspired by those who attend and share the impact that the Sun has in their daily lives. If you're a follower of the Sun, please reach out and tell us what you think of our reporting and let us know how it makes a difference in your life. The Sun is member-supported, so if you're not yet a member, please consider joining us today at coloradosun.com join.